in case you don't know who to be rooting for in the playoffs, we're all rooting for the San Francisco 49ers. The reason, the reason is because Brock Purdy was a student leader and a godly man in Salt Company at Iowa State University. And so regardless of what you think about the 49ers, we have a Salt student who's leading that charge. And if they win the Super Bowl, be the first ever Salt student who won the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, now you're going to be rooting for Brock Purdy. Say, yeah. Okay, so now, uh, now we're going to talk about planting churches, which I hope you're excited about. Uh, if you're not, I hope by the end of this message that you're excited about. But I think it's important for you to understand what it means to be church before you understand what it means to plant churches. And words change in their meetings, and what church has come to mean is quite different than what it meant originally. Let me give you a few examples. Back in my day, to block meant to place an object in front of a person in order to keep them from passing through. But now to block means to prevent someone from contacting you on social media. Back in my day, a cloud was a visible mass of particles condensed in the air of water ice in the atmosphere. But now the cloud is any of several parts of the internet that allow online processing and storage of documents and data, as well as electronic hacking and software. And we don't really understand what a cloud is anymore, right? Back in my day, I can tell you what a friend was. A friend was someone who you actually knew and had a relationship with. But now a friend is just someone who you've added on your list of contacts to who follows you on your social media website, which brings me to follow. That used to mean that you would come after or go behind someone to emulate their behaviors. And now it just means to subscribe to their updates on their profile. Swipe, there's a big difference. It used to mean you stole something or the motion of an animal moving its paw. What does it mean today? Well, it's just to move your finger across your screen to get some, something better than what's on there now. Text used to be a book. <laughs> now it's just a message you send. Troll now, there's something that's really changed. In my day, it was a dwarf or giant Scandinavian folklore person that was inhabiting caves or hills or bridges, and they were scary. Now, a troll is a person who sows discord on the Internet or starts rampant conversations. A tweet used to be a sound that a bird made. Now it's a message posted on Twitter, but unfortunately as those words have changed, probably the one that has changed the most is this word church. i tell you what it used to mean. It used to mean those called out by God, the special people set aside for God for his purposes, and now it is just a building where religious services had where most people are bored to death for one hour a week if they even choose to come. But that's not what it was in the beginning. See, Matthew 16, our text today, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he was in Caesarea Philippi, and it was kind of a capital of religious paganism. And in Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave all kinds of answers because people were really confused about Jesus. But then he asked the most important question that he still is asking today of every individual who confronts Jesus personally. He says, but what is your answer? Who do you say that I am? And guys, that's an important question. If you've not answered that question, if you have not got the right answer on the test, this is the answer you need to stop with today. Because Peter declared 
you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. You are the Son of God. And it was in that moment that Jesus told us what the church is. And what was it about that moment that was so special that Jesus would declare, Simon Peter, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but this is from God. And at this point, Peter's going, wow, finally, I got it right. And he said, I say to you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. First time recorded in the New Testament. And the gates of hell, maybe pointing at the temple of Zeus, saying the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. But what did Peter hear? He didn't hear the word church. He heard this. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. What he heard is on this rock, I will build my called out ones. Because the word literally means called out ones. And then Jesus refers to in Matthew 18, not only will I call you out, Peter, but I'm going to call a group of people out because he said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said the same thing, talking about church discipline in Matthew 18, when he said to the group of disciples, if he won't listen to you, take it to the church, take it to the called out ones and let them deal with it because they have a responsibility. And Peter was the first of the apostles, the first in the New Testament to confess Jesus is Christ. So what does it mean to be a church? It means to be a believer or a follower or a Christian, a little Christ. It means to be someone who recognizes the call of God is on my life. Jesus said to Peter, hey, you didn't get this on your own. You are a dumb fisherman. Well, he didn't say that. He had that in his mind. The Father has revealed something to you. And isn't that the way we come to Jesus now, all of us? God reveals himself to us. This being the first confession, but it's certainly not the last. So when we think about church planting, when we think about churches, I get this question all the time. I love to say that I I get the privilege of leading an organization that plants churches at every major university in North America. And people look at me like, what? And they say all the time, don't we have enough churches? And I say, no, we don't. And they say, what is that? What does it mean you plant churches? And I love to explain that to them, but rarely do they get it. And why are we doing it? Because guys, what do you think Jesus is doing today? 2,000 years ago, he said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What do you think he's saying today? When he calls you out, when he says, you are the church, ecclesia, what do you think Jesus is doing today? And I want to say to you that Jesus is doing today what he's been doing for 2,000 years, and he's going to continue to build his church until he comes again to get us all. Henry Blackaby, are you familiar with his writings? He's getting to be an older pastor now. He's not so much older to me. I remember when he came and spoke at our student ministry, Henley Brackleby has written a book called Experiencing God. And here's the theme of the book. You want to be about the business of Jesus? Look in your city and discover where the hand of God clearly seems to be at work and go join him in that mission. Guys, I'm saying to you at City Light Lincoln, this is a place where God is at work. 
But what is it God worked doing all the time? He's never done anything different. He's always been building his church. He's still calling people out. He's still calling people into relationship with each other and him. And he's still calling people to be on mission for him. That's one of the reasons I love this church so much. Six years old and you've already been a part of planting five other churches. In our network, we have 24 churches. We got 28 that are about to happen. Whereas as uh, this today is the birthday, the birthplace of our church in Syracuse, New York, at University of Syracuse. And they went 7-0 and on their football team. And I thought, this is the hand of God. And then they lost all kinds of stuff. So, you know, but all you can say there is go orange. Uh, so it's not great. So, but it's a great church. There are more Muslims that live in Syracuse than there are Christians. And that university was planted by United Methodists to train up missionaries to be sent to the ends of the earth. And we can't have a Christian organization on that campus. That's how lost they are now. So as far east as Syracuse, and this year we're going to be planting Eugene, Oregon. So we'll be as far west as Eugene, Oregon. And City Light is helping us, and we're sending some guys through our church in Gainesville, Florida, all the way down to Orlando, Florida, to plant 1002 Church there. And so we'd be as far south there. So if God would just raise up from this midst, maybe someone to go to the northwest, we'd have all the corners covered because you guys know we're getting the Midwest pretty good. We get to win all the time. Guys, Jesus is calling his people out. Out of darkness into light. Out of being a nobody, a foreigner, a stranger into his family out of death into life. Listen how Peter writes it when he gets to writing his book when he's an older man. Writing his book in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a husker nation. No, I misread that. A holy nation a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The one who ecclesiaed you. When I was 50, I got my first tattoo. Number one, to be cool. Because if you have a tattoo, you're cool, especially if you're a pastor. And I got it when I was 50 because growing up as a kid, I always heard people had tattoos, don't ever get a tattoo, you regret it for the rest of your life. But I figured at 50, how much life do I have left to live? <laughs> you know, <laughs> most I'd ever regret that's half my life, right? So if you're a pastor and you get a tattoo, you got to get a memory verse on it, right? So I got Ephesians 2, 19. So I think that's a significant verse. If you just got one verse, it better be a good one, right? It shouldn't be just he begat, he begat, right? It's, and here's what it says. Consequently, you're no longer aliens and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Part of the building of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, Peter being the first one to confess Christ and all the rest of them, and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And what does Jesus say about all those who believe in him? We pass from death. We're dead in trespasses and sins. 
into life. Jesus is calling us out, the church or those who are called out. Think about these words, out. I love what Tim Keller says about the church. He says in this quote, a vigorous, continuing planting of new congregation is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in the city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in that city. Nothing else, not crusades, not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries, not growing megachurch, not congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement, but those who have done any study at all know it is not even controversial. Guys, the church is losing ground. I don't know if you know this, but Pew Research, just a, research uh, a study in 2020, said in 1970, 90% of Americans would claim to be Christian or affiliated with Christianity. Today, it's 63%. 85% of churches in our nations are dying and declining, and the parachurch movement, crew, navs, intervarsity is dying and declining as well. We're not winning. We're losing. There's more lostness in your country than there's been since this country started. In fact, the university institutions, you know what they were started to do? Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Brown. They were founded to train pastors for churches in the colonies. And now, what do you think is happening at those universities? Do you think there's good Bible study going on there? No, is the answer. But Jesus is not just calling people out still. Jesus is calling people in to relationship with him. Come to me. I love what Skylar said, Matthew 11. But it's not just coming to me. It's come in to my community, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. You're his possession. It's not just call out of darkness and into the light. It's not just calling out of being aliens and strangers. It's calling into, listen to this, fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, being a part of the body of Christ in the building, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus going first. It's not only being called out, but it's actually being called into a mysterious relationship of Christ with his bride, the church. Do you know the whole Bible begins with a wedding and the whole Bible ends with a wedding? You know the story in the beginning. God said, hey, let's make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. In case our culture is getting so confused about that, and we are, aren't we? (laughs) Male and female, and he said about them that they were in his image, and he created the man first out of the dust of the ground, and then he reached in the man and he created a woman, and he put them together. But before he created the woman, it says that the man felt alone, and God said, it's not good. And then God brought up a woman, and when Adam saw Eve, he said, yes. That's my Hebrew for all of that, what's happened there. Because he created Adam to be, or Eve to be Adam's bride. Yeah, you want to get me going for a sermon that's going to go way over time. Invite me to come here and preach about Pam. She's my bride. We've been married 38 years this summer. 38 years. And we dated four years before that because, you know, we were young. So she was 19 when we got married. I was 22. And that's when we started 
doing work at Iowa State University, and God has blessed that tremendously. But man, if you want to get me excited, you get me talking about my bride. I love her so much. And she loves me. And when Jesus talks about you, he uses a term that is supposed to be packed with the most powerful love that can possibly be given and expressed. It's that of a husband who loves and adores his wife. But it doesn't begin, it doesn't end there. My wife and I, God has blessed us and we have seven children. We have five biological children and we have two adopted children, but it doesn't even end there. Have you guys seen the picture? I got more than that. Now I have grandchildren, 13 of them, 10 grandsons, three granddaughters. Is that amazing? Is that a great picture? It's my favorite picture to show me. You want me to preach over time? Just let me tell you about my grandkids. You know, I love my wife and I love my kids. I really do. My oldest son is my best friend and next to my wife, if something to happen to him, I'm gonna be in a mess. But let me talk about my grandkids. You know, the first, when Pam and I started raising our kids, we were about being a local church with a global vision. So we were planting churches all over the world. And uh, when my daughter, Renee, got to be about 13, she was catching the vision. And so I, being a good dad, said to her, hey, what are you going to do when you grow up? Thinking I would inspire her to do something great, like be a doctor, a lawyer, or something that would make a whole bunch of money. And uh, she said, I'm going to be a missionary. You know what the gut response of her pastor dad was? No. That's for other people. Because I thought the blessing of God was keeping my friends and especially my family close. But God calls us into his family. And what I misunderstood is that even when he blesses us with kids, they're not ours, they're his. And as a parent, my leading prayer should be that God would save my kids and that God would call my kids out and that God would call my kids into relationship with him. My daughter, Trisha, she's my fourth born. She happened to be the best athlete in her family. She happened to be the best athlete in basketball in the state of Iowa for two years. She was the number one all-state point guard. And so she had lots of scholarship opportunities, but the one place I didn't want her to go was University of Iowa. I don't know what your nemesis is, but it should be Iowa, right? <laughs> and as we started Cornerstone Church and God started prospering, Cornerstone Church people would say to us all the time, why well, can't you plant a church at University of Iowa? And I would think, because I believe in the sovereignty of God. And he's going to save who's going to save. And if he saves any of them, that's not on me. Right? <laughs> I don't want to help him with that. Well, then, because she wanted to stay relatively close to home, she decided to accept the scholarship for University of Iowa. And even though she'd never had a great impact as a basketball player, her coach senior night said these words, Trisha Nesbitt hasn't been the best basketball player that's ever come through the University of Iowa, but we would never had a basketball player that's had a greater impact on this city than this girl. And Morgan Johnson, who was the one who had the greatest impact on the team those four years that Trisha was there, said this, I thought I came here to play basketball for the University of Iowa, but I know now that I came here to meet Trisha Nesbitt, and Trisha Nesbitt introduced me to Jesus Christ. 
That's why I came to University of Iowa. And Lisa Bluter, her children, never became scholarship athletes, but several of them got involved in salt company at University of Iowa, and some of them even became salt leaders. And we were at the conference three years ago. Her youngest daughter came up to me and gave me a big old hug, and he said, she said, thank you for starting salt company at University of Iowa. I'm so blessed. And then you know what happened? Trisha, being a basketball player for the women's team, actually fell in love with one of the men's players who was one of the dominant men's players at University of Iowa, Jared Cole. And they fell in love and got married. And then guess what? The call of God was on his life. And now he's training in Madison, Wisconsin to plant a church in Milwaukee and salt company there. Guys, now my prayer is not God keep my kids close, but save them so I can have them for eternity and send them literally to the ends of the earth. And when they're born, the first correspondence that they'll ever get from Papa is I pray that you'll come to know and love and follow Jesus and that you'll be willing to do whatever he calls you to do to the ends of the earth. Nothing would be a greater blessing to me than to not have all my kids close, but to know they're all really close to Jesus and they're participating in the mission of God. Because when he calls you out, he calls you into relationship with him, but it's way more than that. Family grows when you have kids, but it multiplies when you have grandkids. And as you send them out literally to the ends of the earth, Jesus is not just calling us out. He's calling us into relationship with him, but not just out and in. He's calling us on mission for him. You guys familiar with this verse? You ever preached on this one? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus said, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. And then he said to his disciples before he ascended in heaven, go and make disciples of all the nations. You know these verses? Baptizing them, name it. What about this in Acts 1.8? You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, literally to the ends of the earth. Guys, Jesus is not just calling us out of darkness and into light and not out of alienship into citizenship and not calling us out of death and into life. He's calling us into relationship to him and on mission for him. I think so many times we think about the church as a cruise ship instead of a battleship. You know you dress a little bit differently and you expect a little bit different when you're boarding a cruise ship. You take your family on cruises, you know? We go expecting to get a lot of bang for our buck, expecting to get a lot of service, and it's all about me at that point. The whole staff exists for me. I expect the food to be awesome, the service to be awesome. I expect them to roll back my bed. I expect them to serve me, serve me, serve me, and I expect them to plan my adventures throughout the day, and I'm going to judge that ship based on how good my experience was. Isn't that the way we do the church now? But what if I've been called to board a battleship? <laughs> That's a different experience, isn't it? I'm not there to be served. I'm there to be in service, and I'm there to be on mission. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about the church. He said the Christian church was designed from its fairest, and that's just his way of saying in the beginning, to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries became commensurate 
with those of the known world. It was to spread from Jerusalem to all of Judea, from Judea to all of Samaria, from Samaria until the uttermost parts of the earth. It was not intended to radiate from a central point only, but to form numerous centers from which its influence might spread to the surrounding parts. The plan upon which the apostles proceeded was to plant churches in all the great cities and centers of the influence in the known world. Charles Spurgeon is the prince of all preachers, and he got it right. You ever stop to think, what did the disciples hear when they heard make disciples of the nations? Well, the way that we understand that they understood what they heard is by what they did. You ever stop to think how much of the Bible we would have if it wasn't for church planting? Let's consider. Acts. What is Acts about? Oh, it's the fulfillment of the Great Commission through the Holy Spirit's work through the apostles to plant churches. That's what the whole thing is about. Oh, what about after Acts? You have Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. We have Philemon and Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 3 John and Jude. Oh, and what were they? Letters written to who? Churches about what? Encouraging them, rebuking them, strengthening them so that they would plant more churches. Oh, and what did I leave out? Oh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Oh, written to church planters as they were trying to plant churches in the first century, instructions on how to get it done right. There's only one book left, Revelation. And by the way, what was Revelation addressed to? Seven churches in Asia Minor to rebuke them, to get back on track with what they were in the beginning and to inform them the reason they need to get back on track is because Jesus is coming again. And we will give an account of our lives and being on mission for King Jesus. So if you're not about church planting this morning, City Light, guess what you're not about? Following Jesus. Because Henry Blackley said that you got to find out what Jesus is doing and then join him in that. And what I would say to Henry is, why didn't you just tell everybody that Jesus is never changing what he's doing? How many of you know people who are far from God that are close to you? You're to be the church to them. And they're to hear the call of God on their life into, called out of where they are into relationship with Jesus. And the reason you do city groups is because you want to be a part of something that's belonging to something, to be, to be something that's bigger than yourself and broader than yourself because it's not any one of us. It's all of us together. It's not you specifically, but it's you, plural. Jesus said to Peter, yes, you or the rock. But then in Matthew 18, he said to all of y'all, he went southern on us and said, you all are the church, the call out ones into relationship to prolificate the name of Christ to the ends of the earth in fellowships like this, local churches, like the churches we see in the New Testament. But you are to be on mission about doing it to the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place. It's not about this life. 
James, the brother of Jesus, says, what is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. I'm in the first quarter of the fourth quarter of my life. And I can tell you, I can remember when I was 20. And it goes like that. My next birthday, I'll be 60. Into my seventh decade. And all of you guys that are older know, it goes like that. And what matters? What you did for eternity. That's what matters. When I was a little dude, round four, my mom tells me this story. I don't actually remember it, although I think it's really cute. My hero was my dad. And so I'm driving with my mom, and my dad had bad habits, as all dads do. We're just people, y'all. So my dad used to regularly clear his throat. He would call it harking. You know, he would snort a lot, then hark up uh, what we called a loogie. Then he would roll his window down when I was a kid. That was the only option. And then launch this harked up loogie. And I used to think, wow. (laughs) So now at four, my mom's driving. I'm working on harking. trying to get all the mass potential. I rolled down my window because when I was growing up at four, you didn't have to wear a seatbelt and you could sit in the front seat. Uh-huh. In fact, you could ride in the back window. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. You could actually go outside. We didn't even talk about stranger danger, which is a whole other sermon. Don't, Christian parents, don't raise your kids like that. Anyway, we rolled down the window and I just let her go. And my mom said, what in the world are you doing? And then she would always say this, for heaven's sake. And I looked at her bold and said, it's what my daddy does. So I think I said do's. See that, Lincoln? What's Jesus doing? What's the father doing? He's not harking and spitting. But if you want to emulate him, I tell you what you'll be doing. You'll be giving your life, your energies, your passions, your gifts, and your talents to call people out, to call people in, and to call people to be on mission with the king of the universe.